0: Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and I'm joined this week by Gemma Patterson, Alice Collier-Niblett, and Kevin M. Yates. And I welcome you too. The current crisis has changed plenty. Some will last well beyond lockdown. Some will pass. One thing for sure, that organisations will want to make up for missed opportunities when restrictions are relaxed, and businesses will want to make up for lost revenue. We can anticipate an unforgiving period in the short to midterm, and L&D will be under greater scrutiny to make a significant contribution. To this end, we can expect a hastening of some emerging trends in L&D, such as the pivot from learning focus to affecting performance and productivity more reliably and in order to affect results. And I'll be exploring what this could mean with our guests today. Before we get started, I encourage those of you joining us live to tweet using the hashtag l and Live. And whilst we might not get through your questions, I'm sure the back channel will be full of rich conversation and we could get involved afterwards too. But now, without further ado, let's get into it. I'll come to each of you in turn and ask how you're doing. Gemma, can I start with you? Where are you? How are you personally in light of the repercussions of coronavirus? And how have you adapted?
1: Great to be here David thanks for having me. It's um, So I'm here in East London in my flat where I've been for 51 days now. Um, I've not left really the uh, sort of mile radius around my my house. Um, how am I? I would say I'm feeling grateful today. I'm feeling grateful to be part of this conversation. Feeling grateful that I'm still managing to stay in touch and um, really really grateful that i'm managing to perhaps try some new things and tap into some old things that i haven't done for a while just being part of this this whole crazy lockdown situation
0: wonderful thank you for being involved today Gemma. and um, alice where are you how are you and how have you adapted
2: um hi david thank you for having me um so i am in Idleworth, which is south london i'm in my um flat with my husband and we've been in lockdown for about eight weeks now so um And I've always been a bit of a glass half full person and I try and look for the positives in situations. But I've I've definitely got used to the new normal. Um, I'm getting into more healthy habits and taking my time in the mornings. Like I realized even at the start of lockdown, I would still set my alarm early and rush to kind of get into work and get on my laptop. But I've learned to take a step back. And that's definitely something I'll take away from this experience is just to slow down a little bit. Um, and I've just had the opportunity to, to reflect and think about what's next. And I'm actually really enjoying that element of this. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm, I'm doing OK. And I think I'm probably going to take a lot of positive things out of this.
0: Wonderful. Thanks, Alice. And Kevin, where are you and how are you personally and how have you adapted?
3: Hi, David. Thank you so much for inviting me to join this discussion today. I've been looking forward to it ever since you invited me. Uh, I am here in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, And in terms of how I'm feeling, I would say the word that describes me is adjusted. Uh, I'll I'll be transparent and say that the first few weeks of of sheltering in place were very difficult, Uh, you know, pretty much being restricted to my home and and really not being able to go out other than to get groceries or do some other critical errands. Um, And so that was a little difficult. Not being able to go to the office was a little difficult. But now, what, maybe 60 days later, um, I've adjusted to what I call business as unusual. <laughs> and so uh, I'm just grateful uh, to be able to continue to work and really particularly grateful to be able to continue to have these kinds of conversations. So I'm doing good and I'm excited about today and, and really excited to join uh, Alice and Gemma.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks, Kevin. And thank you all for joining us. Uh, now. First question, L&D teams everywhere will have faced disruption to their business as usual, or Kevin, business as unusual now, uh, whether they'd relied heavily on face-to-face, whether they were trying to promote online self-directed learning, or whether they'd already had in mind that they wanted to more predictably and reliably affect performance and results. Now, Gemma, how has the current crisis impacted the way you and your team have approached your work?
1: Well, it's been a bit of a double, sort of a, a double-edged situation, really. So, I, I'm actually brand new into a new organisation. I joined uh, Legal in General at the start of the year, so in January. So, just sort of six or seven weeks before this all started to happen. Um, so, I've started a new role as head of development experiences and innovation. And what I've really sensed is that this has been a massive opportunity for us. So. A lot of the things that we were doing previously were quite in the traditional space, so quite a lot of reliance, like you say, David, on face-to-face and um, sort of the more traditional way of doing things. What this has really done for us, it's, it's been a really big opportunity for our team as Talent and Development because the business are now looking to us to help to drive some of that change and drive some of that new normal, which has been really exciting to be part of. Mm. Um, and to give you a bit of an example. We were working on a leadership development program that was – had been in development for a while and looked set to develop over another couple of months and then hopefully launch later in the summer and run to the end of the year. we were actually able to accelerate that and get that out to more people than we'd originally planned and to do that in two weeks. And that would never have happened without this current crisis that we're in. So we had to change. We had to adapt. And actually, as a result of it, we've been able to help a lot more people. So for me, it's been, been a real positive, I think.
0: Mm. And that's wonderful. sometimes we can be restricted by the expectations of both ourselves and others if there's an expectation that the cornerstone of that's going to be a face to face element because that's what our people expect, and that's where we expect the real change to happen and sometimes that can limit our thinking, but yeah. that seems to be the same across the board in doesn't matter what part of the business that you work in those old norms of well we need to get we need to be face to face in order to do business that that's gone to the wayside but with a keen eye still on the results rather than necessarily just the activities. I think we've all, we've all as a, as a, um, uh, as a global community had to adapt. And, and Alice, what about you? How, how, how's how things changed and adapted for you at Monzo? Um,
2: So for us, I think we were kind of midway through um, kind of generating new kind of processes and thinking about digital first a little bit more. We were starting to move away from, face-to-face training and thinking about how we were supporting performance through um, our digital resources so we were trying to think about that a little bit more anyway and we were trying to think about the impact that we were having um, and what the biggest blockers were in the organization so we were kind of doing that little bit of work already but what this has done um, similar to what Jen was saying is it's given us like a real booster and it's just all the things that we were talking about and trying to move towards has just been accelerated so we've been able to bring people along the journey with us because because everything kind of just had to stop and we had to think about okay now we really have to use digital so it was we were able to kind of help to um get people on board and create resources with other people in the business so that's been really positive for us Um, it's also helped us to think a little bit more about what how we're working as a team so we were previously we, we were talking about how we could start to take this sprint mentality and and um do that to help get resource off the ground quickly so we did that with some of the things that we were trying to create and it just really showed us that we could move at pace and that was mm-hmm. really exciting and and it's um helped other people in our collective even outside of um, people development to, to do that too because we sh- we showed that it could work for the type of work that we were doing so that's been really great for us that it really has just sort of yeah supercharged everything that we wanted to make happen and it's been a great opportunity for us to do that
0: it seems as if uh, what you've just described there, Alice, is uh, certainly what I've observed across social media that L and D have had to move at pace to address what is actually going on, which has perhaps burst uh, some of the mythology around. Um, I'd say not around program development, because program development is still lengthy and time-consuming and um, can be expensive uh, in more ways than just money, but. In providing the solutions that people need in order to perform at pace, I think that that we've surprised even ourselves uh, and our stakeholders at what we have been able to achieve in such a short amount of time with not a great deal of foresight. Um, uh, because who knew who knew this was coming to, to such an extent? Um, how about you, Kevin? I go back to the original question: How has the current crisis impacted the way you and your team have approached your work?
3: So I think that not only me and my team, David, but I would just say the L&D community globally, uh, what I'm seeing, and I'm very excited about it, is a shift in focus, right? So now that face-to-face training has literally been taken out of the equation, right? So now we have to narrowly focus on intentional, specific, purposeful, targeted outcomes for training, learning, and talent development. So what this time of pandemic has really given us opportunity to do is pause and really answer the question, why are we doing what we do? So Mm -hmm. for me, training, learning, and talent development fulfills its highest purpose when it measurably impacts behavior, performance, and actions. So now what we have to think about are, first of all, what are the behaviors, performance, and actions that we want to narrowly and specifically target? And then we ask the question, other than face-to-face, what are the different modalities and experiences that will either influence or change or build those capabilities that we've targeted? So again, David, for me, this time of pandemic has changed our focus. Um, And I'm very excited about that because I believe that as, as a profession, we are now more narrowly focused on outcomes, knowing that one of the modalities on which we heavily dependent, again, has literally been taken away. We now have to really be thinking about what is it that we want to influence or change in terms of behavior, actions, or performance.
0: Mm. Again, it goes back to, if we can't see people develop, and for the audio version of this podcast, I had uh, air quote marks, <laughs> um, then we do have to, to focus on the the outcomes we're looking to achieve. And we've had a question um, uh uh, asked by by a uh, a viewer here, uh, Lizzie, uh, wondering if the content of these examples has changed as well as how it's being delivered. Uh, and Alice, you know, we we spoke on of the recent podcast uh, how user insights has helped to shape um, the the solutions that you're providing. And of course, we might go into um a um to face a problem or building a solution with a set of assumptions but it's with those user insights that you've been able to adapt and flex um the the the, the solution to more closely meet those problems and that that's been the case isn't it
2: yeah, definitely. I think when, when we moved um, into this at the start of the journey, um, we still had people um, coming into the business. And what we were doing was trying to we had to basically work quickly to move what was our um uh physical face to face onboarding and move it over to digital so we used um the insights that we already had because we had been collecting data for some time just asking new starters what are the challenges that you've been having and um what are the blockers that you're experiencing in the first 3 months that you have when you join the company and that helped us to um straight away create an experience online because we already had that information um on kind of yeah what what the problems were so we knew where we could create these resources and how we were having an impact. Um, so mm-hmm. rather than just sort of taking what was face-to-face and saying, okay, let's just move this directly online, um, we were able to create a bit more of a journey and, and do it from the, the learner's point of view. So that was really useful useful for us it's just to have that, mm-hmm. that data.
0: And we'll, we'll be moving on and talking about uh, data in uh, certainly more detail shortly. And as I mentioned, uh, many organizations have moved that pace uh, over the last few weeks to put something out there to support their people, and many will be rushing to develop a more comprehensive online learning provision. But we run the risk of valuing products over results and making rash decisions we're likely to regret later. Now, Kevin, you contacted me recently about the need for this conversation to happen because you yeah. feared this would be the case, and this is not the time for ND to entrench into usual D- decision making is it?
3: Yeah, um, and, and you know, David, I did uh, share a post about this very topic, oh, maybe two or three weeks ago. Um, and, and so, on the one hand, what I am very empathetic to and sensitive to is the need for the training, learning, and talent development community and professionals to produce learning resources very quickly. Uh, because again, we've not experienced this type of disruption. I mean, this is disruption from pandemic in the literal sense of the word. We are literally being disrupted. So on the one hand, there is a need to be agile, there's a need to be quick, um, and and very responsive to the learning needs of people and organizations. So we do have to produce things very quickly. Um, On the other hand, there is a risk of creating what I'll call digital dumping grounds of content. Um, Without purpose, without intention, and without focus, If we are literally taking content that used to be face-to-face and pushing it into an e-learning format or a virtual format or some other digital format without the intention and the purpose, then it does become a digital dumping ground of content. So therein lies the risk. So on the one hand, I am seeing in the learning and development community globally, teams do incredible things with purpose and intention and making sure that the content that they're creating to meet the needs of work-at-home employees is aligned to a business goal, has targeted outcomes for behavior, actions, or performance. So on the one hand, I'm seeing that. Uh, and then on the other hand, I'm seeing instances where because of the immediate need to provide learning resources for our work-at-home workforce, um, we're, we're, we're doing some digital dumping, if you will. So I think that we have to have the right balance between being purposeful and intentional. Um, and being quick. So that again, when all of this is over, we don't have mounds and mounds of digital content that we have to go back and take a look at because it's not working, it's not adding any value. So the opportunity now is to just be thinking about that um, in the forefront,
0: yeah. I think that's uh, that's, that's so important. It's it's important that we're having this conversation in the first first place because of that, that very reason. Uh, but also Kevin, to to, um, to step back, to pause for a moment, as you said earlier, and realise that that we we are not. It's not about providing something. I think that that Google, to a great degree, uh, and YouTube, and any and any other trusted platforms over the last decade have provided us with the stuff that we need. But what we don't have is the guidance and support people actually need. In the context of their work, so what it is that they are uh, with what they're trying to do, and the way I like to describe it is that the old world is topic centric. It's it's uh, and Guy Guy Wallace has been talking about this greatly in uh, in a video series he's doing uh, on LinkedIn that when you've got your topic centric stuff when you you for the purposes of categorization and delivery we've chunked our stuff into presentation skills communication skills leadership we've created educational packages that people can dip into and they can learn all about those topics but what we're, what we're talking about here is that people have a real need. they're, they're, mm. they're trying to achieve yeah. things, but in the context in the complex complexity of being a you know being a human being here, Louise um, Edwards has asked the question, what about empathy and connection? And what I think what we're talking about, starting to talk about here, Kevin, is dialogue rather than delivery. If what we're doing is just providing digital content and expecting that to plug all the gaps, I think that we are making a huge assumption that which which will be flawed. But, hey, who am I to talk about this? Gemma, you've come from a marketing background. So, you know what the traditional approach of buying a platform and filling it with content and that it's counterproductive because you've you've been on a journey that I think uh, L&D is facing now.
1: I I think the parallels are are, are really starting to come to the fore between marketing and L&D now. And I think it ties into what you were saying, Kevin, and to your point earlier, Alice, around user insights. I think one of the things that I've really been trying to take from marketing and bring into L&D has been this idea of we're always trying to drive an outcome. So it's never about just doing something, to your point, David, never about just creating content for the sake of it. You're either trying to increase sales or build a following or um, boost your social channels or impact conversion. But there's always a reason to be doing those things. It's never about just doing stuff for the sake of it. And I think what I'm really starting to see, certainly since the whole pandemic thing, is people are now stopping and asking the question, what are people struggling with? What outcomes are they trying to drive? What are they trying to get done? And before, it never used to be about that. It used to always be about what learning outcomes do we want to drive or what do we want someone to know as a result of this? But actually, it's like we just want people to be able to help their teams to survive and thrive in in this current context. We want people to build meaningful human connections using virtual technology. We want people to get their jobs done, but having to do that when they're not in the same room is difficult for them. So how do we help them? So it's more about really understanding what those needs are and I know people have talked about this before on, on the podcast, David, but one of the things that I find really helpful that was worth reiterating is using the 5DI process to do that. For those who are not familiar with it, it's, it's a design methodology rooted in design thinking. And um, But what that always starts with is defining the business outcome that we're trying to achieve. So look at what are we trying to drive, and that gives us a measure of success. So then we can say, as a result of doing something, have we achieved what we set out to do here? Um, And that gives us our sort of guiding star, our um, guiding light, our north star that will hopefully help us to achieve those outcomes.
0: And I think some people will take that as be almost a ruthless approach and taking the heart out of learning and development, but. Um, but during the um, any expiration, um, there is there is accept, acknowledgement of emotion, isn't there, Gemma? I mean, this is what marketing's done. Marketing isn't just Marketing. a load of messages blasted out to people, uh, telling people what they need to be thinking. It is about the heart. But you can only true. I mean, brands that are succeeding are the ones that 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 true, like, I. I seem to be caring, but learning and development isn't now about performance and results at all costs, is it? You have to acknowledge the emotion.
1: Absolutely agree. I think it's it is really key. So part of what I mentioned um in answer to the last question was how do we recreate those really meaningful moments of connection mm-hmm. between people and what can we use to do that? Because I mean we're we're all here on video, that helps to a degree. But there are so many other things that we we need to be doing. So part of what I see our team's role as playing in this new normal is how do we create that that environment where people can do the most brilliant work of their lives? How do we really create that psychological safety? How do we help managers um, contract with their people to, to give them that safe space to do really good work? And how do we look at sharing our stories of how we've done that? So how do we really bring storytelling into it and use this as an opportunity for people to be a bit more human and, One of the topics that we talked about in our leadership development program last week, actually, the topic was disruption and vulnerable leadership. So it was all around how do we really lean into that vulnerability as leaders and use this moment in time as an opportunity to start to create more of those meaningful connections.
0: And we shouldn't look at the track record of learning and development and using technology in, say, e-learning, which almost strips the humanity out of, uh, of anything, sterilizes scenarios and then presents the, this as an all-encompassing education experience, where really it is it's an experience devoid of, of emotion, uh, of, of connection, and and simply uh, that of broadcast. Um, and Alice, from your roles at both ASOS and now Monzo, you know that the role, uh, that our role in this isn't just of online content provider and that that, that doesn't cut it.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think um, a big part of our role to help make it more human is to go out there and, and ask people what are the problems you're having and actually speak to people and especially with what's been happening recently you know where we're trying to get content out there to help um, support people as Gemma was saying whilst this is happening and help managers to support their teams it's about asking them what are the challenges that people are having so that we're understanding from our from our people from our learners and and in that it makes L&D more human because it's coming from the people that we're trying to help Um, and we I think we definitely can't Obviously, just assume the role of publisher because we need to be thinking about the work that's happening behind the scenes. So, if you don't do that, that analytical thinking before you put content out there, you're not going to be able to have the impact that you want. So, um, I think you know, it take if you can take uh, manager training as a really good example of this. It's you can you know you could sort of say, okay, we need manager training, so we'll just kind of push some stuff out there, and it will be really great digital content. Um, You know, it's going to tick that box, but actually it's not going to be useful, not going to have the impact that we want unless we have asked um, managers in the business what are the problems you're having but also gone to the great manager and said what are you doing that's really right and then we can see the gaps between the two and then we if we address those gaps that's how we can have the impact with things like manager training so it's just um being able to do that kind of analytical thinking in the background and put your energy into understanding what that problem is and how you're going to measure it rather than sort of trying to get something out there in the quickest way possible Mm.
0: Uh, we've had uh, plenty of questions coming in. Cindy Alexander, uh, to, to summarise the question, um, she has a um, a programme, a top talent development uh, programme, where people are nominated to attend. The, a big portion of that is face-to-face. And so uh, there's a risk that if they make that 100% virtual, then it won't feel special um, uh, in the same way. And I think that that's absolutely right. Uh, Tracy Waters speaks um, about this in the the episode um, that we recorded together last year Um, when they moved to a um, learning at the point of work using which was data driven uh, and stripped away training programs uh, whilst they found that they were more successful at addressing performance productivity and therefore results there was this gap which was the four r's which was uh, recognition reward uh, relationships um and another one I can't remember, but maybe that's a, maybe three of those is a, is a teaser for you to go and, and have a listen to Tracy's podcast, find out what the other R is, uh, and some tips on how they address that there. Um, Alice, staying with you and getting to the crux of this conversation, the new measures of success that we allude to in the title here aren't a new formula for calculating the effectiveness of a training course or suites of online content, are they? Could you give us an insight into Monzo's data driven and people insights approach?
2: Sure. Um, yeah, I think as an industry, we're definitely moving away from just trying to understand if something, um, you know, if it was the right length or, um, you know, did you. Um, did you like the trainer? All of those kind of things. I think that that's definitely not an accurate representation of the effectiveness of what you're delivering. So we need to be asking different questions now. And I think for us, part the first part of that journey was trying to understand what our deliverables were for, for 2020. So what are, what are our priorities as a team? And I think I'll talk about it. in in a bit I think but it's just thinking about how we can help to prioritize the work that we're doing and once you've kind of got that established then everything that you work on if you ask uh, the right questions at the start of the journey so who are you trying to impact Um, how will you measure this what's the aim of your training and it, it kind of you're just making sure that you're getting to to that right information from the start with that set of questions and having a process then you'll be able to make sure that you're measuring it effectively so that's what we've done Um, and now everything that we create every time someone comes to us and says I think that it's worth us putting something out there we'll say okay well does it match up to um, the priorities of the business is it in line with that Um, and then we understand how we're going to measure it from the very beginning so that we're able to ultimately kind of stand up in front of the organization eventually and say These are the things that we worked on in the last quarter. This is what we were trying to impact. And here's the data to show that we made the impact and we moved that dial. Um, And I think it's also important to think about not just having those questions at the start of the journey, but also when you put something out there.
0: Kevin, if I come to you. You are the L&D detective. Uh, How are you looking afresh at this measurement problem?
3: So, you know, the, the interesting thing about where we are is that what hasn't changed is the need to measure. Right. And so in pandemic, out of pandemic, working at home, not working at home, there is still the need to measure the results and the impact of our training and our learning solutions. And so what's exciting for me about that is that it remains constant. Now, what might be a little different um, is what we measure. Right. Because pre pandemic, we measured performance in the context of most people working in an office. Right. after pandemic or in pandemic, we have to figure out how to measure impact and results while people are working at home, like literally everybody, most people anyway. So in terms of what we measure, we still need to be targeted with what we wanna measure. So what is the behavior we expect to impact with our training and learning solutions? What is the performance we expect to impact? What are the actions we expect to impact? And then in terms of thinking about how we measure impact, we need to now be contextualizing what performance means at home. We need to contextualize what what behavior means when you're working at home. We need to contextualize what it means when you're taking action while you're working at home. And then we look for the key indicators that measure what that means. So in terms of what's different, What I think is a little different is the contextualization of how we measure. What we measure is still the same because we still got to measure performance. We still got to measure behavior. We still got to measure outcomes and actions. But how we contextualize what we measure determines how we measure. I hope that makes sense. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I, I wouldn't mind going a little bit deeper on that. You say about how, how we contextualize. And if we brought this down to an L&D team, we've got L&D manager, advisor, you may, may have uh, content developers. What, is, what does that look like? Is that a conversation? Um, is that, uh, are you gaining insights uh, with surveys? How, how is that done?
3: So I think that it's the way in which we measure is going to take a number of different formats and that hasn't changed, right? Because Mm. the way in which we measure while we were working in the office, office required different measurement techniques and the way that we're working while we're at home is going to require different measurement techniques. So I like to call it uh, a chain of evidence, as cliche as that sounds. But if you start with a business goal, as we've talked about, You start with the business goal and you talk about how you measure the extent to which learning and training impacted that business goal. So, you're always going to start with a business metric. And then you're going to take a look at performance metrics. So, even while we're working at home, how are we measuring people's performance? You want to take a look at business performance metrics. You might even want to take a look at, you know, um, like post program learning surveys to give signals about the extent to which you can expect an impact. So, to answer your question, David, it's just the different pieces of data and evidence that you capture and measure along the way. So now we just have to figure that, figure out what that means while we're working at home. So, for example, how will Kevin's performance be measured by Kevin's manager, right? Whereas Kevin and his manager may have had, you know, a, a close day-to-day relationship. Um, and that manager may have been able to literally see how Kevin is working uh, and see how Kevin is behaving. Well, now you don't have that anymore, right? So that means that I believe we're going to have to rely even more heavily on data as an indication of performance. Because if at the end of the day, performance uh, is what drives everything, then we need to have insight into data points that show what performance looks like when it is executed. Does that make sense?
0: And it does. Yes, it makes sense, and it answers my question. But I think it leads nicely on to Gemma because we, you know, we're talking about this stuff like it's an it's emerging practice in L and D. But again, Gemma, with your experience in marketing and now leading uh, L and D functions, how are you looking at measurement uh, in a way that that you borrow from from marketing but is relevant and and helps to guide you uh, in L and D?
1: So a few things, I think definitely to your point, Kevin, it's thinking about how do, how do we measure performance when we're in a completely different context? And I think there's something that could be a little bit dangerous in there if we go down the route of the wrong kind of metrics and the wrong kind of measures. So we could be measuring how how many hours is someone spending at their laptop screen? Like that doesn't equal performance. We know that it doesn't. It could be playing Candy Crush. It could be... Um, on Facebook they could be doing anything and I mean all of those things are part of life and needed anyway but I guess it's it's not a true measure so I think we need to be really smart about why we're using data like what what story are we going to try and tell with that data um over the last sort of few roles that I've been in so at BP PA Consulting Aviva and now LNG um we've always really focused in on that outcome driven approach so perhaps now we need to be helping managers and leaders to think less about how work gets done and more about driving for that outcome and really helping to clear the way of blockers so that someone can get to that outcome and trusting that person to to go on that journey and drive that. Um, I think in terms of, sort of answering your specific question, David, around how are we measuring, I mean, there's a number of different ways that we can measure um, how someone interacts with a piece of learning. And then what we're trying to do is look at How do we then connect that interaction with a business metric or a performance metric? So to give you an example, um, we have, as part of one of our um, programs that are running at the moment, we have uh, an online tool called Hive, and we're able to get some really great data out of the back of that. So um, we're able to tell how many people are registered, uh, revisiting, interacting, commenting, liking, sharing, all of that good stuff. However, that doesn't tell us anything about their performance. It doesn't tell us if it's impacted at all. So I'm um, I'm lucky enough to work with a, a really amazing group of people at LNG um, in our people analytics team who are really forward thinking in this space. And what they're trying to do is to really collaborate with talent and development to understand how we can marry up interaction data around programs and how people are using digital and virtual content with actual business data. So look at things like progression, performance, um, career moves, all of that good stuff and looking at how can we make inferences between the data and really understand what's driving what and what isn't driving what and then feed that back into us so that we can then iterate our programs and change them over time.
0: Thank you all for, uh, for, for your response today. We're getting a lot of questions on the nuts and bolts of well how do you do this and how do you bring an organization along with you, which I know that we, we're looking to cover in uh, in many of the other questions, but just to, to, uh, to let you guys in on that. Um, so we're all in agreement, then, pretty much that we can't develop or buy a solution, make it available and then retrospectively try to measure the impact in any meaningful way. It's about understanding and quantifying the problem first. Gemma, in making this accessible. Can you give us an example of how you've done this, um, if not at uh, LNG in the in the few weeks that you've been there, certainly uh, in uh, over your career uh, and what that's meant for measurement?
1: Yeah, absolutely. um so to sort of just trying to bear in mind the nuts and bolts question around the how we do it, hopefully try and shed a little bit of light on that. So One of the the problems that I've been trying to tackle is working with our pricing team and looking at how long it takes to price products and get them to market to customers. And um, the, the challenge that we had is there's a lot of manual work in there, which means it's a very slow process. Um, but if we can automate some of that process, obviously, that's going to become quicker um, the time to price product reduces. It frees up our people to work on more value add stuff and actually solves a customer problem. They get the product that they need quicker. Um, so I guess instead of starting with we need to train everyone to be quicker at pricing, um, we looked at it from the other side and we looked at how might we eliminate some of the manual elements of pricing And that may be a learning and development problem, and it may not be, it may be a process problem, it could be a business problem. Um, And I guess where we got to through that process is to help the people who are doing the work to eliminate some of those manual elements through um, performance support resources in their workflow, looking at how we can introduce elements of coding into what they're doing around that. Um, And the impact is that we, we save time and we can actually measure that so we can say, Instead of it taking eight weeks to do this, it now takes eight hours to do this. And that, for me, is like a really solid metric. But, again, it's not a case of we plug Google Analytics into the back and it told us how many people were on there. It's, it's really working in collaboration and in partnership with the business to really understand what the challenge is and then unpick it. And to know that, actually, talent and development and learning isn't a silver bullet that's going to fix that. It's actually bringing people along with you it's partnering it's collaborating it's it's been part of the same task force and I think Alice mentioned earlier around working in scrum teams and running sort of sprints around how they get stuff done we're trying to do much more of that as a team so bringing people into the work with us who are actually part of the process that we're trying to fix or part of the problem that we're trying to solve and designing with and for them
0: yeah And I think that goes some way to answering a question we've just had from uh, Pete Salsby, who asked, uh, if a number of solutions are proposed to solve a significant business issue, of which only one is an L&D solution, do you have an example of how you might be able to measure the direct L&D contribution regarding improving performance? But I think that what you've just described there, Gemma, unless I've misinterpreted, is that uh, nobody's – Nobody's looking at saying, I I made the difference there. You've got a task force together, which L&D is a part of, who is able to facilitate, the, say, a performance consulting conversation. But perhaps in a more consultative and collaborative way, yeah. you'll be working with, as your words, with and for the client in order to make the difference. Because after all... The old world of training, you would deliver it and then you you'd live and die by whether that was effective or not. German, your training didn't work. You know, a whole cohort of uh, people and their managers might tell you. But if you are working in collaboration with people and solving a real business problem, then you can help with a solution and facilitate. But when it comes down to it, the people doing the work have to do something different in order to get the results.
1: Totally agree. And, and the, the point there, I guess, is that we're not the experts in L&D. We're not, I'm not an expert in pricing or coding or any of that. But what I can do, like you said, is facilitate a really great performance conversation that's really going to help to change the way that people look at things from thinking that training is a catch all to thinking that actually there are a few different levers that we could pull here and we could really have an impact on performance by doing that.
3: Hey, David, can I answer that? Because this conversation yeah. and that question is one that I get so often. And, you know, again, that question is how do we attribute exactly a change in behavior, performance, or actions, or a business goal to training, learning, and talent development? So here's the honest answer to that question. So shoot me if I tell the truth. You <laughs> cannot pinpoint exactly that training did something by itself. Hmm. When you're measuring the impact of training, the science is almost as much about measuring what happened because of training as it is measuring what would not have happened in the absence of training. And and so then to Jim's point, the idea here is that achieving goals and improving performance is a team sport. So the way in which I work is to identify all of the contributors and influencers to performance and all of the contributors and influence to achieving a business goal. And then when you identify those different key players, it's almost like slicing the pie, right? So if you want to achieve a business goal, what are the different parts of the pie that achieve that business goal? So the contributors to achieving a business goal might be training and learning. It might be marketing. It might be HR. It might be innovation. It might be recruiting. So the essence of what we really have to be focused on is not just L&D as the sole contributor, to performance and achieving business goals, but rather, L&D is a part of that theme that is assembled to achieve business goals and influence people's performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and and yeah. I think that to, that, that to, to um, uh, just to build on that, Kevin, what I find in my work is that, that even understanding the real problem and how that is being experienced by the people gets you so much closer to solving that problem than the old way, which was being um, advised of um, a performance problem, then translating that into a learning need and then aggregating common um, needs up to a level of abstraction almost so that you could deliver a, a standardized program or content for which people then attend on the day they're asked why are you here and they say i don't know because they don't recognize it That ch- you know we're either so far past when they experience the challenge or it's been abstracted to such an extent that they no longer recognize it and then what we do is we we, we wonder whether why there's been no change but but what we're talking about here is if we but if you truly understand what it is that we're seeking to affect, because it's a real problem that the people that we're working with understand and experience keenly that it's a problem, then yeah. we are well down the right road in order to uh, to affect that. And I'd love to come to you, give- Alice. Oh, yeah, go on. Sorry, Kevin.
3: Well, I want to give, you know, Jim and, uh, and Alice an opportunity to jump in here. But the other thing I want to share as it relates to what we're talking about and the biggest challenge to measuring impact. I think that there is something that is so easy that we as a profession can do that we're not doing that I am doing more of. So if the question is, what is the impact of training on learning on performance? Why not ask the people who are expected to perform? Right. Mm -hmm. So here's what that means for me. I can ask someone to share with me, what does it Mm -hmm. look like? when these behaviors show up real-time day-to-day? What does it look like real-time when these actions are showing up in your role on your job? What does it look like when you are performing the way that the business expects you to to achieve a business goal? That then gives me insight into the evidence that I can collect and gather and search for that shows the extent to which what they described is showing up. So when it comes to measuring impact, measuring results, we got to go to the people who are expected to perform and ask them, what does this look like? Because they have answers that we don't have because we aren't close enough to the business in that way to be able to have insight into what does it look like when people are behaving and performing and acting in a way that's been identified as critical to achieving business goals. So for me, that's kind of like the secret sauce when I'm doing my data detective investigative work and I'm looking for facts, evidence and data that shows the extent to which training, learning is impacting behavior, performance and actions. I'm asking people, what does it look like? What should I be looking for? And, and that's such um, such an easy way to do it.
0: Yeah. And first of all, thank you. Uh, thank you all for your responses. And what we're describing here is what Trish Yule on a previous episode of the podcast talked about formative as well as summative data. In L&D we have a history of looking for summative data that seeks to understand what impact our actions may have had but that we've been weaker in looking for and fully understanding formative data because we too quickly transform as I mentioned translate as I mentioned earlier performance needs into learning needs which are fairly easy to design or procure a solution for Kevin what mindsets and practices do L&D professionals need to unpick to be able to see the whole picture of performance productivity, interdependent relationships, et cetera, and act from a better place of knowing. Yep,
3: thanks for asking. And I don't want this to be the Kevin show, <laughs> certainly want to hear what are thinking as well. But just in terms of what needs to change from a mindset perspective, for me, it's very simple. Um, we need to shift our mindset from the training, the course, the e-learning, the thing that we create as being the deliverable, we need to shift that and say that what we deliver is impact. It is no more complicated to me than that, right? Because right now we're focused on creating that thing. We're focused on delivering that thing. But when our mindset says that what we are focused on is building and creating impact, and that thing we create is the vehicle by which we do it, then our focus changes, right? Because if we're focused on delivering impact, we're focused on performance and we're focused on business goals. Um, And that connects to a lot of what both uh, Jim and Alice have talked about. So for me, the mindset shift is move away from creating a course and move to creating impact. Mm, Brilliant. Um
0: Alice, again, working in an environment that's building L&D on these new foundations, what do you think L&D needs to do to fast track to these new measures of success? Um,
2: so I think touching on what, some, um, what we've said earlier, I think there's this idea of becoming a bit more of a consultant and being able to speak to the people that you're creating these solutions for and understanding them and the problems that they're having. So I think it's getting into that that mindset. Um, and and going out to the business and understanding where what the business wants to get to in the future so I think it's kind of like putting yourself into the center of the business so that you're an integral part of that and I know lots of the things we were saying so far around um, you know that you need to be able to push the business forward and if you do that then you need if you want to become an integral part of it then you need to put yourself there you need to have those conversations so I think it's just about um, doing that so going out and speaking to people so that's the first thing um and there's continually getting feedback so there's this idea of of like having your data it's not taking a stab in the dark and guessing what people need it's about understanding that and and knowing how you're going to measure that from the start as well um, for me i think the best way for us to get started was to look at how we can create a, a process um, to be able to do that in the first place um, so that we're kind of like building our resilience and and we're able to do that. So whenever anyone comes to us and says, we wanna create something, we have a process that we can follow. So I think if you know that that's what you're gonna do and define those questions before you create anything, then that's how you're gonna know that you're having that that impact. Um, And and don't just leave your stuff out there as well. So once you've created something, don't just leave it there. I think every other kind of, uh, I guess, department or like team, if you look within your organization, wouldn't just sort of create something and, and leave it there they would uh, review it and see if it's been effective in what you're trying to do so it's thinking about that as well so go back to your things and, and did it have the impact that you wanted it to and if not why um and again that comes back to you being able to speak to the people you're trying to influence so um yeah, yeah i think just having your ear to the ground and having that connection with the business is hugely important
0: and about and talking with them about stuff that they care about primarily, not the learning stuff that, that we've got, trying to push our agenda and saying, what did you think of this? How do we make this better? It's being in their world uh, to understand what it is that they care about, what they're not able to do efficiently or effectively, uh, and then understanding their, their ground zero, as it were. So we're not looking back after a year and thinking, did, did what we do make a difference? You are looking after week one, month one, Month six, t- month 12, are we making progress towards what it was we were seeking to affect in the first place? Now, Gemma. Yeah, and I, I think, think she's about to being... You, I've got a, I've got a slightly <laughs> different take on that. Oh, sorry, Alice, I cut right across you. Sorry.
2: That's all right. That's OK. I just say like, Yeah, I just I just reiterate that it's, it's about being iterative. Um, yeah, I think I just wanted to kind of reiterate that point, really. And the way that we can understand if we are impacting the things that we want to be impacting, um, we can go back and and have a look at those those resources and solutions that we've created. So I think if we're if we're talking about whether we've been able to influence um, what we wanted to, it's like a process and i we might not nail it the first time but if you it might be like the second and third time that we go back to it and we realize actually we weren't hitting the nail on the head but the changes that we made have started to move that dial so if you look at it more of a process rather than we're going to get it right first time then it's likely that you'll be more confident in the impact that you're having
0: a perpetual beta should be a desire desirable state if i mean it scares people to think that it will never it's never going to be finished uh, especially with L and D, where we used to a one and done delivery. You know, um, everybody's everybody gets through it, and after twelve months, it's done. But perpetual beta as a desi- it should be a desirable state because you recognise the reality that people are in and performing in, and that you've got the opportunity to influence again and again and again as long as we're adding um, the the, re- the requisite value. Um, Gemma, you developed a digital skill set. They moved into L and D, so you've probably felt this keener the most. What do you think L&D need to unpick in order to work on the right stuff and measure progress?
1: So I think, um, and perhaps not the answer you might be expecting from me, but I I do think we need to give ourselves credit for how far we've come in L&D. So we're not all sat there going face-to-face is the way, we just do courses and then it's fixed. I really do think the conversation has shifted, and I've been in L&D for quite a while now <laughs> yeah. and um, what, I, what I've seen certainly over the last sort of five years or so is that the conversation really has shifted towards more performance consulting and people are taking that mindset to Alice's point about iterating and it not being it never been finished we're always in beta we're always learning and um, so I think we do need to give ourselves credit I definitely think there are things that we can do that will make us even better and um, so one of those things is looking at the types of people and capabilities that we have in our teams i think that's a really important one especially when we're thinking about measurement and data so think about the makeup of talent and development or learning and development teams differently have we got the right people in the team who can take the data on what people are doing and then analyze that to really understand the impact on performance because that's quite a different skill set to a traditional ld skill set and what we've started to do in our team um, where we find that we perhaps haven't got that entire skill set is looking out into the business and saying, where is this happening and where can we tap into it and collaborate a little bit more? So can we collaborate with people analytics or even the marketing team or the digital team and look where there are those bright spots in the organization that we can tap into and learn from and, and bring their skill sets into our into our teams? I think um, I'd really like us to see to see us as L&D taking cues from things like marketing and integrating um, tools into our measurements. So looking at things like Google Analytics, but again, really starting with the outcome and making sure that everything that we're doing is achieving that. And I think the, the bit you've just said there, Alice, has just really resonated with me about being okay with not getting it right first time. That's, that for me is the crux of where we are right now, like in this pandemic context that we're in, like, how do we, really make sure that we're, we're trying, we're failing, we're learning, we're iterating, we're improving, we're measuring, and we're seeing what the impact is. And it's been okay to not get it right. So I think we, we can't be too curious is, there, is mm. my sort of go-to mantra at the moment. Stay curious.
0: Wonderful. I'm going to go back to the questions because I think that uh, this is one that we haven't fully covered off. Uh, Laura Cox has asked, how do you really manage the business challenge of just getting content out? Everyone is now a learning expert, uh, she says, and just watch the content to tick the box uh, and be seen to be doing some, uh, something. So it's, and she says quite rightly, it's easier said than done with challenging stakeholders. So how do you pivot? I mean, we, you know, for, for me, it starts with the first conversation, but I'd love, has anybody got experience of taking an organization with them?
3: Yeah, I, I think that you have to quite honestly pick your battles um, and it's about how you have the conversation. Um, and it's about being empathetic. Right. Because on the one hand, I think we need to be empathetic to where businesses and organizations are right now. Um, so there is a sense of urgency. Um, there is a sense of immediate need. And so when a stakeholder or a business partner comes to the training and the learning and development team and says, I don't have any time to have a conversation with you about impact. I don't have time to have a conversation with you about business goals. I just need you to fulfill my order for training, right? So, you know, that's going to happen. So let's manage our expectations. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that, we can still be looking for opportunities where what we do and what we create and our meaning and our intention has the opportunity for impact. So for me, it's finding the right balance between um, hearing the business's voice, the organization's voice, and, and honoring what they've requested. At the same time, in the midst of all that swirl, looking for opportunities in the request and in the conversation to say, I hear you, let's pause for a moment and let's talk about what you've asked me to do and where there is opportunity for us to measure the result for what you're asking us to do. So it's it's striking the right balance between you know fulfilling the order, um, but at the same time looking for opportunities for measurable impact. Wonderful. Thanks, Kevin. I think that's something there
1: around contracting up front as well, sort of helping people to understand how the role of L&D is different now because people don't interact with learning teams all the time. They might come and do it once a year, once every two years. So just setting out your style of this is why I'm here and this is what I can help with and this is what we do and this is what we don't do, I think that can really help to sort of build that trust and that empathy. And you sort of wouldn't go to a doctor and say, I don't want to have the consultation you can't examine me I just want the, just want the drugs give you the drugs like you just want do that. so I think it's just getting people to understand like why you're asking those pushing challenging questions and that it's coming from a place of love and a place of wanting to help and
0: Alice any, any advice yeah
1: yeah, I
2: completely agreed. I think that one of the things I learned quite early on with too much frustration is that you can't impact everything at once. And even though you want to grab everything when you move into an organization and, and and move it all into this new way of working, it's just not possible. So I 100% agree with Kevin in talking about picking your battles and picking the things that you can influence. Um, for me, I think I mentioned it earlier. It's just about having that, that clear process from the very start. And I'm looking... At Currently, at trying to make that a bit more formal, and it might sound like a little bit boring that you know everyone has to kind of go through answering all these questions with me at the start, but it just makes it a bit more sort of official. So you know, any everything that we're creating, we're making sure that we've got all that information up front, and it doesn't take long. But just go go over here, fill in a few of these questions for us, and then we can um, start off the journey together. And I think it just puts us all on an equal um like playing field straight away and then we're able to make sure that what we're doing is going to be um we'll try and make it successful um and try and have the impact that we want to do it to, want to have so yeah i 100 agree it's about having that right conversation from the start
0: wonderful thanks alice uh, and then the final question um, Anna D'Afonso uh, has asked what resources exist for the new L and D professional in this area we're speaking about. But I wonder whether this could be useful for everyone because you know we've talked about all of this stuff, and although the podcast will be available next week, not to plug it too much. Um that we realise this isn't a standalone learning event that hopefully people will be motivated to go elsewhere and continue their development in the new measures of L and D. If I could come to you first, Kevin, I know that you've got to rush off shortly. Um, where would
3: you recommend that people go to learn more? Well, what I'm really excited about, I hope that this is an unofficial shameless plug, but the Learning and Performance Institute has recently launched LPI Learn, which is an amazing resource uh, for the global learning and development community. So, and particularly as we think about how we're working in these times. So, I would just highly recommend that uh, our our Learning and Development uh, brothers and sisters out there go out and take a look at the Learning and Performance Institute's LPI Learn. Wonderful. Anybody else? Any recommendations, Alice?
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that I would really suggest is speak to the like the data teams and even um, some of the, if you have them in your organization, like the tech teams that are working in, in sprints and things like that and learn from them. Um, because I think taking yourself out of learning and development and putting yourself in other worlds um, might help you learn some tricks and tips that you can take in. And that's definitely how I've started to explore um, the, the way that I'm using data um, and, and taken some of those processes that other teams are doing and, and borrowed some some insights from them. So um, I'd just say put yourself out there and have conversations with people outside of learning development as well. And um, also listen to this podcast because I think <laughs> the people that have spoken on this, um, yeah, I think I've just learned so much from having the great speakers on this podcast um, and, and lots of other great ones. So check out the learning and development podcasts.
0: I suck at that. Oh, thanks, Alice. <laughs> Thank you. And Gemma, <laughs> uh, any, any recommendations from you?
1: So sort of linked to Alice's point, actually, I would say um, look externally from your organization if you can. So look for inspiration from other people who are, who are facing into the same challenges and problems that we are. Um, and not necessarily just in L&D, but I know even just from today, I've now got two new uh friends outside of my organization that I can reach out to and see how they're tackling these problems. So I'd say having those conversations, especially a time like this one, like I'm a massive extrovert and I am missing people like seriously missing human beings. Um, Just reaching out for a virtual coffee and a conversation is is a great idea. And I think Twitter's brilliant for that as well. Just sort of making those connections Um, in terms of really getting to grips with how we set those metrics. the 5DI model is a really great one, and that's in Nick shackleton Jones's book, How People Learn, um, and yeah, I would just say, just try stuff and be okay with learning and it not working first time. You're gonna, We're all gonna learn stuff together through this weird time that we're in.
0: Wonderful. Thank you very much to my panel for their valuable contributions. Thank you. Now, not everything is going to change when we come out of the other side of this, but then again, not everything will go back to the way it was. Before we adapt our practice, we may well experience a change in stakeholder expectations for which we need to be ready. And not just to deliver what we're asked to, but to be ready to have conversations that matter, that are more keenly focused on the priorities facing our organisations, and that are focused on outcomes rather than products and activities. From there, we can measure progress and success rather than be looking over our shoulder, worrying whether we're adding enough value. It's up to us now to develop and to adapt. Now, If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at DavidInLearning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the
3: show notes. And goodbye for now. Thank you.